Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Let's, uh, let's open up to Mark 16. <laughs> Good. Someone, someone's going to enjoy today. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to uh, give you a, a fair warning. I was, so uh, we want to empower and equip over these next few weeks. That's what we've been saying um, as we're going into evangelism gospel crusades will continue Sunday so our Sundays right now are really geared towards it's like an equipping of the saints that's what I feel like I feel like an army is rising up every Sunday and if you've been here the last two Sundays I feel like the the glory of God has been riding in particularly when we're come to ministry time I feel it's God's amen to what we're we're doing not just like on a Sunday but where we're going so just be encouraged uh, God I feel like is putting his his approval if you will um, it's the presence of of the spirit coming so we want to equip, we want to empower. As I said, this is more than just an event, though. We want to, this is bigger. This is for lifestyle. Um, but but I, what I want to say is that I, I had intentions of going in a certain direction uh, for today. And then Friday morning prayer said I was just really being touched and undone by the Lord. And, um, and I, I just couldn't shake it. So I, I felt like the Lord, I just tried to be sensitive to God. I felt like the Lord was redirecting and saying, whatever you've kind of prepared in your heart, just lay it aside for right now. And let me just encourage you guys, because everyone here will share the word of God in different ways. I know everyone's not like a formal teacher, but we are. We're all called to give a, an answer for the hope that we carry. And I just want you to know, whenever you're called to share the word of God, it's better that you're current with God than you have a prepared message. Now, the two don't have to go against each other. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. I think often they can go hand in hand. But I have found firsthand, it is possible to have a message and not have him, if you will. And what I mean is I have him, but like I, I didn't capture his heart. I didn't have his voice. I, I prepared something that was like well put together, but man, I missed like what God wanted to do. So this morning, I, I just give me grace. It's a little more unrefined and raw, but, but what I do feel is God on this. I really do. And I feel God is going to encourage our hearts deeply, and that's all I want. <laughs> and if God does that, then hey, we're in a good place. So let's, let's go to Mark 16. I'm going to start here. I'll just share a few minutes. Famous last words of a pastor. That's what I think, but we'll see. And then, uh, and then we'll, we're just going to open it up to pray and worship. All right. So let's read Mark 16, verse 14 is where I'm starting. And this is, let me read it and then I'll share what the Lord was highlighting. Jesus, this is the Great Commission account in the Gospel of Mark. It says, Afterward, he, meaning Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. It's a glorious mandate we've been given. We are to go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to the nations. I happen to think, guys, that God is really serious about his commissions. (laughs) Um, and what I mean by that is not that we're going out like somber, but that th- God has included us in his plan of how he's restoring and renewing all things. And what I would want to do sometimes is put an asterisk next to this where God says, but don't worry, if you don't go, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll send an angel in your place, so I'll just show up to everyone. And although we know that in hard reach places, God in his mercy is doing this, but, but God really means I'm sending you to go. 
Like, how, how will they know the good news? How will they respond? How will they be saved if no one goes? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? This is really encouraging that God is, has brought us into this plan and is really using us, guys. It's not just like pretend and kind of fake, and let's, but like he's actually looking to us. He's moving through us. It's God doing it all, but it's a yielded life. So again, let's read verse 15. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, signs point to something, right? So there's going to be signs that accompany those who believe. Who are those who believe? All of us. This is not for super saints. This is meant to be a mark of anyone who believes in the Lord. These signs are meant to accompany our life, to testify to the resurrected Christ, that he's reigning in glory, that his kingdom is here. So verse 17 says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Now listen to this, in my name. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. This is all in his name that they're going to do this. This is all going to proclaim and testify to the kingdom of God that's here. The reign of Satan is breaking. Verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So the Lord was confirming their message as they went forth. Has the message changed? Okay, this wasn't, a, this wasn't authenticating the 12. This was authenticating the, the message. This was the message in action. Therefore, if the message hasn't changed, then we know that these things still remain. We should still see the church empowered by the Holy Spirit, laying hands on the demonized, on the sick. These are signs that God's kingdom has come. Amen? So the Lord has really given us a mission as his church, and I don't know where you stand, if that excites you, if you feel overwhelmed by that, but wherever you stand, I want you to know that the Lord has given us many things to encourage us, and to empower us as we go, but there's something here that gripped my heart Friday morning that I just want to just a little bit unpack this morning. The Lord has not left us to ourselves as we go, and I believe God wants to impart boldness into us, like real boldness this morning, real courage, real faith, like really where we feel a zeal to go forth, and I've, I'm telling you that it's not found in reliance on self. I want you to know when I am filled with most fear when I go, it's usually because I'm looking too much at self. I'm too reliant on, do I have the words? Can I do this? Can I say it just right? But as I get my eyes off myself to what the Lord has provided, namely that he's with me, right, there's a boldness that comes. And here the Lord is saying, I want to strip you of self-reliance. This is where you're going to find confidence. Not in yourself, but that as you go, you will go in my name. We go in the name of the Lord. The Lord says, I'm going to send you to preach the gospel to the whole creation. And as you go, in my name, you will encounter the demonized, you'll encounter the sick, you're going to encounter the lost. But in my name, you'll see them set free and liberated. The name, what, what he's saying when you go in my name, he's not merely saying like, it's not passive, like positionally we're just going in the name of the Lord. There's a truth to that. We are in Christ, obviously, but it's actually active. He's saying when you go in my name, meaning you're going to declare, you're going to pray the name of Jesus into situations that seem impossible. And when you go forth, when you see people that seem utterly broken and without hope, you're going to go in my name. And in my name, everything's going to change. We're going to see this is the name of which every covenant, every covenantal promise hinges on. And when you pray this, this name, the Father backs it up. 
This is the, guys, this is the name that brings life. This is the name that mends. This is the name that heals. This is the name that restores. This is the name that saves. This is a name that really transforms the power of darkness. You say, how will I go and see the lost get set free? Jesus says, in my name. There's something, and we're going to go on a journey that we really have a faith in the power of this name. And I mean really like going and praying in the name of Jesus. It's, man, there's so much life on it. God has sent us into a world ravaged by sin, but it's this name and what he did in his death and his life, death, resurrection, that everything now is being restored and renewed in the name of Jesus. It's the only name for salvation. This name is so powerful that when, I want you to picture this. When someone's lost, it's, it's not because they don't just have a, a knowledge like information about God. It says that, it says that they're actually slave, enslaved to sin. It says that we were under the domain of darkness. That means there was a governing rule over our life, Colossians 1.13. We weren't just like, I don't know about God. We're actually captives and bound. But when one, by the grace of God, says, Jesus, that one who's enslaved to sin, who cannot get out, something happens where that name and what he did in his blood touches a life. It breaks the shackles. It touches the mind. Blind eyes open, and they see glory, and they step out of darkness into light. There's no other name that, that this can happen. There's only one name for salvation. And we're going out declaring this name. And I'm going to show you at least one reason why, uh, why there's such power. This is the name, guys, that it, it fills every gap of every deficiency you feel in your life. <laughs> so wherever you feel like I can't, the name of Jesus can. The name of Jesus can. Amen? So Acts 3... Well, let me back up. The book of Acts in general, if you want to see what it looks like, like tangibly a, a community that's really gripped with the revelation, go to the early church and look through the book of Acts. You will find an early church, you will find a church and a community of believers that understood the revelation of the power of this name. Do you know that in Acts 9, this is really fascinating, there are several, Christian was actually a word that wasn't used a lot. It was birthed in Antioch. That's where you first heard the, the, name, the title Christian. But in the book of Acts, most of the time, the early believers, they didn't know what to call them. Christian, cr Christians is something that's become, it's an appropriate name, but that's not what they really referred to. There's different ways, a different uh, titles. Some call them like the way because they follow Jesus the way. But do you know in Acts 9, one of the names that described and marked the early church was they were known as the ones who called upon the name of the Lord. So in Acts 9, when Ananias, uh, Paul, this is where Paul's converted. You guys know this story. Paul is blinded, and God begins to raise up a man by the name of Ananias. And Ananias is wrestling with this call, and, and he's saying, do you really want me to go to this guy? Do you know what he's done? And as he's speaking with God, what he's saying is, listen, he was sent here with authority from the chief priests to bind up all who call upon your name. This was the, they, they, there was something about wherever these guys went, they were so known for calling upon the name of the G, Jesus that outsiders and those looking in said, this is how we define them. They're the ones who call upon the name of the Lord. Wow. Then when you go just a few verses later, Paul gets touched, blind eyes open. He's in the synagogue and he's preaching and it says those that were listening saying, man, this guy used to wreak havoc in Jerusalem arresting all those who call upon your name. It was the defining phrase. Do you know that in Acts 2, when it speaks of like the grassroots early church, it said they committed themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, it says. That's a definite article, the. Now, we don't, there's some speculation on what they are, but here's what I do know. They were known for calling upon the name of the Lord. It was like one of their marks where they were praying in the name of Jesus. It, it, was, it, was, it was so central to who, to who they are. It's so, it's so simple it becomes offensive. <laughs> 
So then you see it mostly in Acts 3, though. You don't need to turn there, but in Acts 3, you see what it really looks like for a community to move in the power of the name of Jesus. I know you know this story, but uh, Peter and John come outside the temple. There's a lame man. 40-plus years, he's lame. Can't walk. Every day, he's carried there. Peter locks eyes with him, and it's just like this moment of divine encounter. And Peter says, we know the phrase, he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise and walk. And the man stood up and began to leap. A sign of the kingdom of God is here. Had it happened, this is what they do. They went around releasing the name of Jesus into a world ravaged by sin, and they understood that this name in it was, was the liberation and healing for everything. Everywhere they went, they said, in the name of Jesus. So if you keep reading that story, right after that, all the crowds begin to come around Peter to begin to figure out what in the world had happened. They don't gather because Peter has a, has a big following, a well-known preacher. They gather because there was one who was lame for 40 years is now walking. And here's what Peter basically says. He says, men of Israel, why do you look to us as, as if this happened by our own power or piety? Like if you feel you don't have the power or if you feel like you're not measuring up, guys, you're in a good place. The Lord, like the Lord is attracted to weakness, to humility, to childlikeness. I, I think the life of the miraculous is actually, it's, it's challenging in that it requires us to go low. It requires us to recognize we do not have what it takes. And Peter's renouncing self-reliance and saying, look, this is not by our own power or piety. He says, he goes on to say though, but this man who stands before you in health, perfect health and strong, this happened not only because of the name of Jesus, but faith in that name. Faith in the name of Jesus. So what I want us to like go on a journey for a little bit this morning is I want us to, I want us to be touched by how powerful this name is. They did not just go around just like declaring kind of like randomly like the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. They had a faith attached to this name, yes? Like there's a substance to, to this name. And I, I want us to go on and understand at least in part what did these guys understand that, that they, had, they had such a faith that when they declare this name, everything changes. It's not just about like randomly declaring, guys, we need faith. We, I believe God wants to tether our hearts to the revelation of how powerful this name is. Bring us into a knowledge of the authority and boldness that is behind this name. John 14, John 16, Jesus says, he gives us an invitation to pray for breakthrough. Like profound breakthrough we can get. And he says it all hinges on this. You have yet to pray in my name, but now you will pray in my name. Have you guys ever read that? You'll now pray in my name, and when you pray in my name, you're going to see things that you never saw before. Praying, he, what he said, I want you to call upon my name. See, John 14, 16, God is responding. Why does God respond to this prayer? God's not responding to how long your prayers are. He's not responding to how, or how long or how short they are. He's not responding to uh, how anointed you feel or how unanointed you feel. He, he's not responding to how loud you get or how quiet you are. There's one reason God responds to our prayers. It's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Listen, you can, you can pray long, you can pray short, you can pray feeling so bold, not feeling bold. The moment you mention the name of Jesus, the Father's responding to that. Regardless of, of all the other things, see, I often am measuring and marking my prayers by all those other things. Did I pray long enough? Was it loud enough? Was it good enough? The Lord says, in the name of Jesus. This right here, guys, is the word that draws on heaven. And then in Acts 4, after they're healed, it says that the religious leaders gather Peter and John, 
And I'll just summarize it this way. When they release them, they say, here's what we don't want you to do. We don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus. They say, stop speaking in this name. I don't care what you do. Do any ministry you want. Here's one thing I don't want you to do. Stop saying this name. Because when you declare this name, everything changes. <laughs> and you'll find in Acts, the one thing the religious leaders and then Rome wanted to silence was this name. Because of the power that's behind it. So I want to I just share something the Lord has been speaking to me from going back to Genesis, that I believe it's the day that prayer began. <laughs> and I believe, at least in part, it's, it's why praying in the name of Jesus is so powerful. Why, when we go and call upon the name of the Lord, we can have such expectation for God to move, and then uh, we'll see where the Lord goes from that. We'll just pray into maybe some of our life situations, and it's going to be uh, really good. So let's go to Genesis 4, if you will, please. Genesis chapter 4. Again, just sharing a simple truth that the Lord is sending us out in his name, meaning everything, every situation we, we go to, we have an answer because of the name of Jesus. And we aren't just talking about flippantly just saying in the name, in the name. Uh, actually, the, son, the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, do you guys remember this? It says, it says they, they actually were, were moving in the name of Jesus, but they did it based off of what they saw Paul doing. And they wound up being completely overwhelmed by the demonic presence that they were confronting, right? So th this is the thing. We're not just like flippantly going out. But as we root ourselves in the revelation of scripture, there is a real faith that touches our hearts. And then when we start moving in this type of like this type of belief in this in the power, I believe we're going to see the same things that we're seeing in the book of Acts. God, I want to weaponize, if you will, the name of Jesus. <laughs> Like God's given us a weapon to say every situation you go into, you have an answer because of this name, but I want us to see where this begins. So Acts chapter 4, um, Genesis chapter 4. I'm, I'm calling this the day that prayer began. <laughs> so I'm going to pick it up towards the end of it. I'm going to just share a simple principle here, but hopefully it will encourage you and lead us this morning. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Everyone there? All right, this is where calling upon the name of the Lord, something happened here. So we'll, we'll backtrack and, and read some more in this text, but here's the summary is creation has come, right? We know creation is perfect, creation is good. Then we have the sin of, of Adam and Eve, sin of humanity. Cain and Abel come into, this, uh, into the scene. Cain kills Abel, and now we're right at the tail end. We'll, we'll come back into that, but I just want you to see where we're reading this now. Verse 25, Genesis 4, and it says, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Yes? Verse 26, and to Seth also a son was born. So you have some time passing here. You have Seth, and now there's going to be the, the, uh, the Seth's son who is Enosh. So verse 26 again says, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. So you've now got some generations that are beginning to pass. But I want you to listen very carefully what it says right here. This is such a significant verse. It says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What is that? <laughs> so just think about this. Jesus is sending us out in his name. The early church was marked and known by calling upon the name of the Lord. 
And I think there's a lot of things that can stir our faith into the power of that. But if you want to at least know in part, I think you've got to come to the roots of where it began. So when it says at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, what, what that means is that this was a moment where something broke in and there was an experience that took place on the earth that had never occurred before. Namely, people began to call upon his name. Now, my first thought is, well, what about Adam and Eve? And they walked with God in the cool of the day. Well, what we'll, what we'll, we'll find is that although they certainly communed with him, and this is like, it was rich. This is what we were made for, to walk with God. It was conversational. It's still, by the testimony of the scriptures, it was not the same as calling upon the name of the Lord. It's not till sin enters in that God's going to give us this gift to be able to call upon his name. So let's just see it again. It says, at that time, people began. So this was the breaking moment of this. What did they begin to do? They began to call upon the name of the Lord. So here's the two questions we have is, that I want to put before you and answer quickly is, why is Enosh, why is he the trigger point for calling upon the name of the Lord to begin? You guys see that? It's when Enosh is born. That's when they begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And secondly, what is really meant by this phrase, calling upon his name? And both are deeply intertwined, but we'll kind of answer them at least as best we can separate. We'll start with Enosh. So it says that it was at the birth of Enosh that at that time people began to call upon his name. Now here's what we know. Why Enosh? It's not because of anything of Enosh in and of himself. He's not like intrinsically significant. Enosh actually, after this, he will only be mentioned twice. He'll be mentioned in Genesis 5 and then in 1 Chronicles 1, I believe it is. And both are genealogies. That's very important. The point is this. It's not like Enosh was born and everyone said, oh, finally, Enosh has come. There's something deeper that's going on here. And I believe if we really want to understand it, there is a verse that all of us should have like seared in our hearts in Genesis. It's Genesis 3.15. If you don't know it, get to know it, especially the second part. But here's what happens is that as sin enters into the world through man's rebellion towards God, it says that basically every major relationship that existed was severed. Just, just track with me, guys, because this will we're going to share like the emphasis on this in a moment, but you've got to understand this. When sin enters in, every major relationship gets touched. What does that mean? Our relationship with God is broken. Relationship between human, man to man, Adam, Eve was broken. Relationship with self, right? Shame enters in. Why is there sickness, all these things? This is all a result of sin entering in, the curse entering in. And man's relationship with creation. So everything gets touched the moment man sins, right? But in the midst of that, in Genesis 3.15, God does something amazing. He makes a promise or he initiates covenant with humanity. And what he says is, look, even though everything's been broken, everything seems to now be touched and, and severed from what it was meant to be, God says, I will not leave humanity like this. He says, I will, now I imagine Eve's right here. He's looking at Eve and saying, there is going to be a seed that comes forth from the woman and this seed will rise up and ultimately crush the head of the serpent. And by crushing the head of the serpent, what he's really declaring, like this is the gospel before Jesus ever walked foot on this earth. He's, what he's saying is, we've messed everything up, but God's going to set it right. And God's going to have one who will be actually a, a, of human descent. He'll be born of woman, and he will come, and he will destroy the serpent. And in doing so, he will reverse everything that sin has brought into this world. This is a glorious promise. Now, here's the thing. Most believe, and it's, it's clear, they were not thinking at this point that this this serpent crusher was going to be way down the road. They were believing that this serpent crusher was going to come through the womb of Eve still. So they're looking, saying, when will the serpent crusher come? 
So then Cain and Abel come. Now, Abel seems to be the one who's going to be the, the, the man. He's, he's got, he's, he seems to be righteous, right? He's got the favor of God. They're saying, it's happened. God has come through on his promise, but then something shocking takes place. Cain kills Abel. And the one who appeared to be the serpent crusher is gone. So now they, they realize Cain comes, it's not Cain. Then Abel comes, they say it's going to be Abel, it's not Abel. And then as you keep going through the genealogy, then it says that Adam and Eve have Seth, it's not Seth. Then Enosh comes, it's not Enosh. Now Seth and Enosh are barely mentioned. Why? I think it's simply because not taking away from their, their lives and, and the godly lives they live, but there must have been nothing within them that resembled they were the serpent crusher. You guys follow me? So God made this promise, we're sending one to crush the serpent, and they're expecting him to come, and they're realizing it's not Cain, it's not Abel, it's not Seth, it's not Enosh, and they're beginning to realize this promise may not be fulfilled as immediate as they thought. And it was at that time that they begin to call upon the name of the Lord. What, what does that mean? What they're saying is, God, you made a covenant with us, and you promised that you would send the serpent crusher, so we cry out to you, send what you have already committed to do. Guys, calling upon the name of the Lord to pray in the name of Jesus is what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, you made covenant. You promised that you would do this. Therefore, we pray that you would do it. So when you go, just what did God do in Jesus? 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 1.20 says every promise, for every promise is what in Christ now? Is yes. You're going with the name of which every promise is yes. God's not wondering, will he? In what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection, he has secured every blessing and every promise of the new covenant. When you speak the new covenant, you're saying, I'm declaring, God, the name of which you have promised to heal, restore, save, liberate. And God, God is responding not because of your negotiation skills. Hallelujah. He's not saying, oh, Andrew, you're really twisting my arm to move in this situation. He's responding because the appeal that I'm making is based off of a gospel commitment that he's already given. I've committed this already. In my son, I would do this. I've already said it. Therefore, you can go in my name and pray boldly. And I've declared I'm going to, uh, he said, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to set the captives free, to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. You don't need to wonder, is he going to do it? Just pray the name of which all those things have found in. Yes? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> it's intimately connected. This is, listen, praying in the name of the Lord is not some vague or general prayer. It is intimately intertwined and connected to his plans and promises to rescue his people. Now, there is like the general plan of salvation. Then there's also like God's personal plans and desires for areas, which means we know God has said he wants to breathe on Mastic Beach, an area that's been overlooked. That's promise, guys. So when you pray in his name, we're going to go out to people that situations are far beyond what we can do in our own strength. And what we're saying is in the name of Jesus, you promised God, you promised that you would restore this land. You promised you would touch the addicts. God, all we're doing is standing firm on your promise and saying, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> it's, see, when that hits our heart, everything changes. We're really saying, God, all we're, doing is the, all we're doing is asking what you've already committed yourself to do. And in Jesus' name, like, he's, he's committed him full self to, to do everything necessary to save, to set free, to liberate. So when we pray in the name of the Lord, we cry out to God to advance his agenda and to deliver on his promise. When you call on the name of the Lord, like when we go out in Jesus' name, there's two things that really are fueling this that are very important. Number one, it's, it's his commitment. 
So we have to understand that calling on the name of the Lord begins with he initiates something. The only reason why we can call on covenantal promises is because he's made promises. We, the only reason why these guys could call on the name of the Lord is because God first called on the name of Adam. Where are you? This is the grace of God. So God has made promises to us, whether it's general or specific in this area, and we're going with confidence because he's made a commitment to do things. But there's a second part that's very necessary. Not only is he committed to do things, but then we also are aware of our complete inability to bring those things about. This is where you find a people that really learn how to call on the name of the Lord and pray in the name of Jesus. Like, this could apply to prayer in general especially. Why do many places not pray? They know that God has made promises, but we're still too proud and strong in our own strength. But a, but a people that call upon the name of the Lord are those that recognize God is committed to do things, but also recognize equally we have zero ability to bring it to pass. And it's in that gap of knowing God wants to do and wants to touch and wants to set free and knowing we can't do it that we begin to say, in Jesus' name, what we're really saying is, God, you have to come through here. You want to come through, and you have to because we can't do this. We can't save anyone. We can't open hearts. We can't see the lame walk. We can't do any of that. But you've committed yourself. You've proven you're committed to this at the cross. So it's like this, it's this crazy tension we live in as believers. There's so much God has said he wants to do, but we're also so completely aware we can't bring it to pass. But in that, and as I said before, God responds to that not because of us, not because of our words, but because of the name that we're lifting up, guys. That's good news for me. The name of Jesus, releasing it everywhere we go. Listen, this verse right here, this verse sets a trajectory for prayer throughout the scriptures. So this isn't just like a, a historical verse. It's more than that. This right here is giving you a, a basis of how we are to then see future prayers. You're going to find... The, the people of God are constantly calling upon the name of the Lord. And what it's always connected to is asking God, would you make good on your covenant promises? That's what it means. To pray in the name of Jesus, as we'll see, is really saying, you've committed to do things, Father, in your son. You've proven it through the cross, so we're praying for you to do that. So you could go through script, Genesis, the patriarchs. If you read the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you'll find often, especially with Abraham, God makes a promise and then he'd build an altar and it says at the altar he'd call upon the name of the Lord. What's he doing? He's saying, God, you promised to do this, so I'm asking you to do what you've promised. I can't do it. Moses, now Moses doesn't always use the exact words calling on the name, but it's the same principle. You'll find Moses always appealing to God based off God's previous promises. God, you said you'd do this, so I'm asking you to do it. It's really simple, right? So, when we, guys, when we go out and pray for people and we're leading people, God, you said today's the day of salvation. You said if your name would be lifted up, you would draw men to you. I don't need to force anything. Guys, I just say, okay, now I'm going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. This is, this, I, I'm t something changes at the sound of this name. It was me when I was in my brokenness and all jacked up and pursuing all these other things that God did not have for me. It was the name of Jesus came into my life and changed everything. Everything shifted. I was called out of darkness. And we're going to go into, as we, in the month of July, as we go out evangelizing all month, we're going to go into situations and we're going to uh, proclaim and declare the name of Jesus into these situations. And we're going to watch with our own eyes because we're going to know that God has said he wants to do this already. If you go into Elijah, here's another example. I was just writing some down. Elijah, this story, I said it because I know you guys know it. It's 1 Kings 18 where he challenges the prophets of Baal. But you have to listen carefully to what he does. When the prophets, Israel has turned their back and begin to worship a false god, Baal, right? 
This is really where the nation's at. And, and Elijah, sent by God to really turn the hearts of Israel back to him, goes to, to challenge them. And when he gets to this mountain, Mount Carmel, here's what he says. He says, you call upon the name of your God, but I will call upon the name of the Lord. This is the same phrase. Here you go again. And what he's saying is, I'm going to call... I'm going to call for God to send fire to show himself, that he would prove and demonstrate today that he's the true God, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's exactly how he prays. He begins his prayer with covenant language. He says, oh Lord, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he basically says, show yourself, send this fire that they would know that you put these words in me. And then he prays and God responds. And a whole nation begins to turn their hearts back. What was he praying for? He wasn't wondering if God wanted to do this. He's saying, God, you made promises. You sent me here with a word. So therefore, I'm calling on your name to do what you've already promised you want to do. Hallelujah. It's really simple. I'm just drilling this one point. <laughs> but I just wanted to be in your hearts that when you pray in the name of Jesus, this is the name. Guys, Deuteronomy 28 speaks of the, curse, the curses of breaking covenant. The reason why we have confidence in this is because Jesus endured every single one of those curses for himself on the cross. Deuteronomy 28 lists out what happens when you break covenant, sickness, death, torment, under your enemies, all this stuff, demonization, you name it, it's all there. All of that at the cross, Jesus fully takes it on himself. Deuteronomy 28 then writes, one who obeys the covenant, all the blessings that flow. See, we're talking about the one who has dealt fully in his body with all of the, the wrong of our breaking covenant, puts it to death, rises again, and now there's the confidence of the blessings of this covenant now. This is where you're confident. It's not because it's like I'm going out saying, man, I lived really well today. Of course, we want to walk after God. But my confidence is that the name that I carry is the name that has secured every new covenant blessing. Ephesians 1.4 says that we are, uh, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Where? In Andrew? <laughs> In home church? No. In Christ. There's one man who has secured every blessing of the new covenant. It's Jesus. If your life is in him, you come under the blessing of that. So we're declaring that name into cursed situations, into situations that are reaping the full effect of breaking covenant with God. Now we're taking this name that has reversed and we're praying it in to see the reversal of those things. Isaiah 55 is another one where it talks about the salvation of God all because of the suffering servant. So God brings salvation. And it's described as the compassion of the Lord. And you probably have heard this text that says, if you have no money, if, if you have uh, no resources of your own, it says, come, buy and eat. And what it's saying is God has provided something. But then, in the, right at the end of that, in verse 6, here's what it says. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Call upon the name of the Lord is what it's saying. Why? He just made a promise that he provided something. God is saying, I, I've, I've made an offer. I've initiated something. I've, again, I, I've declared that something is within reach. Therefore, I invite you to call upon my name to ask me to do what I've already promised and committed myself to do. So this is the day of salvation. It's, it's the day of, of seeing the works of the enemy undone. We're not wondering about this. This is set in the cross. Therefore, you can have confidence to pray the name of Jesus into people's situations. Come to number six. I actually want you to read this with me. And we'll close right over here. Numbers chapter six, verse 22. This is Aaron's blessing. This has been considered like the blessing of blessings. 
Okay? Aaron's a priest, which we in the New Covenant function as priests as well. So I believe that we're invited into this in, as New Covenant priests. But this is so amazing. This is like the blessing, guys, and I want you to hear the wording. Number 622. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, Aaron's Moses' brother, and his sons, saying, This, you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. All right, this is just like mind-blowing. We're asking God to bless. We don't understand the blessing of God probably enough. I mean, I'm, I'm just speaking like general. Like, I know for myself, we can't do anything with God's blessing. So we're praying God's blessing. That's what he's saying as a priest. Pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. Some people are like, no, I don't pray God bless me. We don't understand that. We can't do anything without his blessing. We need the blessing of God on our life. The Lord bless you and keep you. And he says, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. There's not a greater promise, according to Israel, than God's face turning towards Israel. It's why David, when he sinned, he said, Lord, please do not hide your face from me. This is why it's so amazing that in the new covenant, we can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is so incredible. God's face shining towards his people. Every blessing is found. It's really speaking of his person. He's not like withdrawing. He's fully engaged with his people. So this is saying, bless them, keep them. Lord, make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious to them. And then it says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, yes? Yeah. Now look at what he says right here, verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. What is he saying? He's saying every covenantal blessing and promise is synonymous with putting the name of Yahweh unto his people. So what he's telling me is, listen, I, I want the Lord to do this. You're going to bless them that God's going to do this. How are you going to do it? Not by just listing off all these blessings, but I want you to put my name on them. How do you put the name? He wasn't writing with a Sharpie on them. He was proclaiming it. He was declaring the name of Yahweh over them. And God says, when you speak the name over them, it's the name that has every promise and blessing in it. And now in the New Testament, guys, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the apostles began to see and began to take the name of Yahweh and realize the name of Jesus is synonymous with the name of Yahweh now. So this is why when they went around, they said, in the name of Jesus, they knew they were saying the name of which every covenantal promise and blessing hinges on. It's in this name. <laughs> Hebrews 8, 6 says we have a better covenant with a better promise because we have a better mediator, a better sacrifice, a better priest. Like if they could do that, man, what happens when we pray the name of Jesus into situations? This is, guys, this is a gift. Praying in the name of Jesus is a gift. It does not happen until after sin enters the world. Meaning, there's a lot of belief that covenant really doesn't start until that Genesis 3.15, after sin. Adam and Eve were just, with God, were just connected. It's not until sin enters in. The point is, covenant is really God taking steps and initiation to begin to restore broken humanity and the broken world. So God doesn't make covenant with Adam until brokenness enters in. In other words, he's saying, we've messed this up, but he said, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you covenant and promises with that, and your job is to respond by praying in my name to call on those things. Wow. So like, whatever, you, whatever your situation is right now, no matter, it could seem amazing, great, uh, or terrible, whatever it is, God's given you a gift to, in the name of Jesus to release his name into those situations. And this, God says, uh, the father's going to respond because of how powerful his son is and what his son has done. So in a world weakened by sin, I just felt the Lord writing that we get to, and feeling the full effects of breaking covenant, we get to call upon the name of the Lord 
on his covenantal promises to restore, to heal, to save, to set all right. That's what we're saying. What we're saying is we're seeing a world of which sin and injustice, we see it all around us, but we know that there's one name who's going to set everything right. And so as we go and are confronted with this brokenness, we're saying we're lifting up the one name that can touch the situation, the one name that can restore. I think we need to speak Jesus over everything. Not just, again, in this like flipping like, I hope we see what we're we're saying is in the name of Jesus, we're speaking over our fears, over our anxieties. We need to speak it over situations, family members. We need to speak it over the hopeless. We need to speak it over the addicts. We need to speak it over the bound. We need to speak it over the bitter. We need to speak it over those who are far from God. Like in the name of Jesus, their lives can change. I'm going to ask Caesar to come up here. I want you guys to turn one last scripture, John 14. Hallelujah. John 14. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. I'm going to finish right here. So again, just so you understand, at that time they began to call upon the name of the Lord because what what they're saying is, God, you made a promise to send a serpent crusher and we're going to ask you to do what you've committed yourself to do. So I I even invite you just to think about what has God committed himself to do in the Son? I want you to think about what he's really committed. God God is making all things new in Jesus. Everything is possible because of what Jesus accomplished. There is not a single situation that we're going through that's without hope. In fact, anytime we, we find ourselves without hope, we've come under a lie. The name of Jesus is able. Every situation, every person that we're about to minister to in this upcoming month, in the name of Jesus, there is hope for breakthrough in that. It's the answer to every single thing. And here's where I want to finish, John 14, verse 12. This is what Jesus invites us to do. As he's preparing to leave his disciples, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And then verse 13, he says this, and whatever you ask in my name, there it is, he's inviting us to call upon his name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So the fulfillment of what we've seen that started in Genesis, it climaxes in the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I've started something, but as my disciples, when you pray in my name, when you invite me to situations, the Lord gives us absolute assurance that he's going to back up everything that he's purchased with his own blood and his body. And so as we said when we started in Mark 16, the Lord sends us out to pray for the sick, to pray for the lost, to pray for the bound. And he says, in my name, in my name, you're going to see these people get set free. Not not just because like it's it's some magical thing, but it's because within that name, God has made commitments and promises and covenant that he will never turn his back on. And you and I can have the confidence that when we pray in that name, God will back it up. So why don't you stand with me?
I just, I'd ask Caesar if he would just lead us in a, in a song about speaking the name of Jesus. And I, I just, I pray, I'll just pray as, as we're singing and the Lord leads, but I just, I want to pray boldness to hit your heart. I, I want to pray God to give you vision. What would it look like for the bound and the, and the, and the captives, for the lost to really be liberated through this name? And I want you to just see as we're going out, I want you to see a, a people bought by the blood of Jesus now going out, just like that early church, being marked as I don't know, a group of people I encounter, I don't know anything about them, but I know this, they call upon the name of Jesus. <laughs> Just in Acts, as they were defined by calling upon this name. That we as a people, as we go out, marked by the same thing. So I even ask now, God, before a single person walks out these doors, I pray, Lord, that boldness would arrest their hearts, that courage would be their portion. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't called us to be silent. You've called us to be unashamed for the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And I thank you, Lord, that you don't send us out in our own strength, but you send us out in your name to declare it and speak it into every hopeless situation. Thank you, God. Nothing is beyond your touch. Thank you, God, for every covenant, promise, and blessing that is now available in your Son. And so I just, I pray, God, that this your name, Lord, would be, would be like a weapon, Lord. It would be like a sword in the hands of your church. That every, every confrontation with darkness, God, it would just be cut through, Lord. Every heart, every human that seems impossible, beyond reach, we thank you, Lord, that this name is greater than every other name. That, God, you're able to break in and you're able to save, Lord. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.